Now, if you lived in the ancient world and you had tens of thousands of hypobronchial glands, and those glands you acquired from the calcified coils of a spiny murex sea snail, and then after you got those glands, you would dry them and then you would boil them. And after drying them and after boiling them, you would get a color from that invertebrate's marine excretions. And that color was the color purple. Tyrian purple, named after the Phoenician city that honed its harvesting. And that color of purple, Tyrian purple, that came from the glands of the shell of the Murex sea snail, commanded a very, very high price. In fact, the price was so high, it exceeded the price of precious metals, including silver. Now, if you lived in ancient Greece and you wanted to wear the color purple, you had to have approval by legislation. Now, according to Roman historian Sustonius, there was a king who decided to wear purple to visit Emperor Caliglia, King Palatmi, in fact. He wore purple in Caliglia's presence without having approval. Caliglia considered this fashion statement an act of aggression and had his guest killed. In the Bible, in Luke chapter 16, there's a story called The Rich Man and Lazarus. And the story goes that there was a rich man who dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. If you were to look in Luke chapter 16. Emphasizing, rich man dressed in purple. So we know that this person was of some sort of royalty. And at his gate, there was a beggar named Lazarus who was covered in sores. And the Bible says that day and night, he longed to eat what fell from this rich person's table. In fact, the dogs came and licked this beggar's sores. And then the beggar died. And the angels took him to Abraham's side. And then the rich man who was clothed in purple also died and he was buried. Now, the story takes a turn here and it says that in Hades or hell, the rich man was in torment, in pain. And he looked up at Abraham and he saw Lazarus at his side. And he said, Father Abraham, look, have pity on me and hey, send Lazarus down here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in the fire. But Abraham tells him, he said, look, son, you know what? In your lifetime, you received some very good things and Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted and you are in agony. Hayes is a state of mental obscurity or confusion. Purple Hayes, the rich man and Lazarus and the confusion 
around wealth. Welcome to the Stephen Thompson Experience. My name is Stephen Thompson and this is my experience. I am curious, I have deep convictions, and I try to be compassionate most of the time. I believe that the best in you comes from within and hopefully by working together we can figure out our best actions to move forward drip by drip by drip towards the habits we wish to cultivate in order to accomplish the goals we desire. Happy New Year and welcome to 2020. Purple Haze by Jimi Hendrix. Purple Haze was released in March of 1967. It was released in England first and went up the charts there. Then three months later, the Jimi Hendrix Experience gave its first United States performance at the Monterey Pop Festival. Now at this show, Jimmy doused his guitar with lighter fluid and set it on fire. And that was caught on film. And that made Jimi Hendrix become a star. Now, back in 1967, people were not, a lot of people weren't really impressed with Jimi Hendrix setting a guitar on fire. In fact, some people called him a psychedelic Uncle Tom. And Hendrix, how did he respond to that? He, he said to the documentary in an interview, he didn't really have any time for that negativity that people were giving him. Didn't have any time for that criticism. He said he didn't care. In fact, Jimmy said, it's up to them if they want to mess up my evening by looking at one thing. But you know what? He said, you know what? Because all of this, when I feel like playing with my teeth, I do it. Because I feel like it. And all I know is when I'm up on stage, I'm complete, I'm natural, more so than you know, talking to a group of people or something. So this idea that Jimi Hendrix singing Purple Haze, even though some people were confused, they really were in the haze because they saw this great artist performing at the top of his game, and they looked at something that wasn't related to music the fact that he lit his guitar on fire and that made them upset. Maybe he shouldn't be doing that. The confusion. And we see these confusing times where you may think that there are certain people who are in a position of power to be able to help people who are not in power. But in fact, the people who are in the power are actually confused and the people who are not in power aren't confused an example Antonio de Montesinos in the 1500s was a Dominican friar one of the earliest arrivals of Dominicans in the New World specifically Haiti but in 1511 specifically in December he attacked the colonist from a sermon, from the pulpit. Because these colonists had came to the Caribbean and they enslaved the people who were there. Now, for speaking out, he was run out of his parish in Hispaniola. But eventually, he was able to get an audience with the king and they were able to see his moral correctness of his point of view and pave the way for later laws that would protect the rights of Native Americans. Now, what he did, it was December 4th in 1511, and Montesinos announced that the topic of his sermon 
would be based upon Matthew 3, verse 3. And he started off by saying, in a packed house full of people, he said, I'm a voice crying in the wilderness. And then he went on and talked about the horrors of slavery that he had seen in 1511. He said, tell me by what right or by what interpretation of justice do you keep these Indians in such cruel and horrible servitude? By what authority have you waged such detestable wars against people who were once living so quietly and peaceful in their own land? Montesinos continued saying this, implying that the souls of any who had owned slaves were damned to hell in 1511. Now the colonists who heard this message were stunned and they were very angry. They were not happy. They did not take this message kindly. In fact, the governor at the time, responding to petitions of the colonists, asked the Dominican friar to punish Montesinos and take away, make him, force him to retract everything that he said. Now these Dominicans refused and they took things even further. They told Governor Columbus that Montesinos, in fact, spoke for all of them. And then the next week, he got up and spoke. And, and, and the people expected him to stand up and apologize for what he said. They expected him to have a change of heart and to stand up and say that he was sorry for calling out the colonists for enslaving and treating the native people horribly. But he did not. He restated what he had said before and further informed the colonists that he and his fellow Dominicans would no longer hear confessions from slave-holding colonists. colonists. So if you were a slave owner, he would not listen to you if you tried to confess your sins. Again, they were rebuked again. They told them, you need to change. Finally, Montesinos got sent to the king of Spain. He traveled there with another friar who represented the pro-slavery point of view. So even in the church, you don't have a unified view on this. You had a pro-slavery friar and you had an anti-slavery friar. But the king did allow Montesinos to speak freely and was stunned. In fact, he said he was aghast at what he heard. And he summoned together a group of theologians and legal experts to think about the matter. And they met again in 1512. And the end of these meetings, they came up with the 1512 Laws of Burgos, which guaranteed certain basic rights to New World natives living in Spanish lands. And then they, pun they published his defense of the Caribbean people in 1516 called the Informatio Judicia in Indorium Defensium. Now in that audience in 1511 was Bartolomeo de la Casas, and he was a slaveholder at the time. And Montesinos' words stunned him so much that he made the decision to get rid of all of his slaves. He believed, in fact, that he would not go to heaven if he kept them. And then Las Casas eventually went on to become a defender of the Indians and did more than any man at the time to make sure they had been treated fairly.
The lyrics go purple haze all in my brain. Lately things don't seem the same. Acting funny but I don't know why. Excuse me while I kiss the sky. Purple haze all around. Don't know if I'm coming up or down. Am I happier in, my, in, in misery? Whatever it is, this girl put a spell on me. Wealth and power can be confusing. We can see that there are times that people in wealth and power can mistreat people who are not in power. They can use their power to hurt people. They can use their power to keep people down. But there always will be people who will stand up against that. In fact, there was a study done by Park, Kant, and Tobler in uh, Nature and Communication, published July 2017. And they talked about a neural link between generosity and happiness. And they said in their study that really accumulating wealth isn't a bad thing, but what your choices you do with your wealth decides it. Now, they said that human societies actually benefit from generosity, from generous behavior, such as donating to charity or volunteering one's time. And it's a generous behavior in this study <coughs> is that if you invest your own resources for the benefit of others actually increases your happiness. And economic theory can't really explain that. It really can't explain generous behavior because in economic theory, you're supposed to make more money, spend money, make more money, spend less than what you make, use that money on yourself. If you use money on other people, you would go into debt. Economic, economic theory doesn't explain that. So you don't have people who are happy, but research in psychology suggest that possible motives for generous behavior and if you are a generous person your happiness will increase in the study they found that spending money on others predicted an increase in happiness and this finding was supported by studies across cultures and ages showing that participants who spent money on others reported higher levels of happiness compared to those who spent money on themselves and this is in line with the studies that generous behavior is driven by positive emotions and the feelings that it evokes. So when you look back, the rich man and Lazarus, the story of Montesinos, you have people like Lazarus who sat at the rich man's gate. He was looking for help. All around us there are people who need help, people who need a second chance. And then you have this rich man who was in a position to provide help. But he didn't. He didn't provide help. In fact, how did that end up? It said that the rich man went to hell and was in torment over his lifestyle of choosing to enrich himself while others around him remained in need. And then you can simply think about Lazarus. Well, perhaps Lazarus got himself in that position. Perhaps he, he drank too much. He squandered. He didn't work hard. And then he ended up in a bad place, begging outside of the gate and sores coming out of his body and dogs licking them. But the story says that this person went to paradise. So if this person went to paradise, then he must have had a heart that belonged in paradise. So you look at yourself. Who in your life is around you that you need to help? Or are you simply the rich man? 
the rich man who needs help themselves? Do you have provisions in your life to enrich yourself, which is fine, but then do you also use your riches to enrich others? And maybe you could be Lazarus. Maybe you could be down on your luck. Maybe you could need a second chance. But if that's you, keep fighting because hopefully help will come your way. This has been the Stephen Thompson Experience. What I want to impress upon us is that I know that when I was in school, I would always hear these stories about American slavery and how slavery was bad in America. And then Abraham Lincoln came along and freed the slaves. And you got this idea that throughout history that everyone who was enslaved sort of just took it. And they had no other choice. And they said in fear. But that's not true. There were always people who stood up against injustice. There will always be people who will rise. There always have been. There has never been a time in history where we have just accepted injustice. Now, injustice occurs, but the occurrence of injustice is not the same thing as people trying to prevent it or stop it. And there always have been people who have fought against it and have stopped it. So the idea that injustice is wrong has always been true. We just sometimes don't know about it. But that's why we're here at the Stephen Thompson Experience because we want to show you that there have always been people who have taken courageous stands. And you are a person who can take a courageous stand. And I want you to find that courageous stand. Maybe you need to take it. Maybe it's not as big as ending slavery. But there are some courageous stands that you may need to take in your personal life, in your relationships, at your work, at your job, with your family, with your spouse. I don't know where it is, but I do know that there probably is one that exists. So you go find that area, either in your personal life, either internally or externally, where you need to take a positive stand, where you need to be courageous and stand up against something that is wrong and incorrect. History will remember those who do what is right. This has been Stephen Thompson, and thank you for listening to Stephen Thompson Experience. I'll be back. Thank you.